Open the Word of God with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Some words of it were just taken in the prayer that you heard. There are other words in this psalm that I'll also use. I want to tell you today, in the time that we have, about two kings. Two kings and their laws. And I hope by so doing that we can rejoice in God our Savior, in the Lord Jesus Christ. This first service I want to present to you the King of Terrors. That's his name in the Bible, the King of Terrors. It's a name for death, and death is the King of Terrors. And then I want to show you the King of Glory, because he's the Prince of Life. But uh, in its proper time. You cannot appreciate salvation and our Savior unless you can appreciate and understand the terribleness of sin and death. And so I want to present that to you first. Now, I did a similar thing last Sunday, though it was 15 years old, but today's content is going to be entirely different. I'm not going to use Romans 6.23 except to quote it right now and to hope that you all know it. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's providence in a woman's life, a 35-year-old woman's life, who died nine days ago, and whom we remembered and buried four days ago, reminded us of death and eternal life in our own church. Before that, I had preached to you recently about Jesus being the Son of God in all the detail of the Scriptures, especially His glorified state and official role as the Son of God. And He was declared to be the Son of God with power by His resurrection from the dead. And so there was consideration, heavy consideration, out of Acts chapter 13 about Jesus being raised from the dead. The theme is the same as last Sunday, but the content will be different. As you heard last week, death is sucking life out of every part and out of every function and activity of your body. Our Bibles are a complete manual of life and death, sin and righteousness, and eternal life. Your knowledge of these things and the resulting faith and hope that come from God's revelation are only known by the Word of God. So we have to learn the Bible and what it says about death, what it says about the laws of sin and death, what it says about the law of righteousness and life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am sorry that not all of you were able to witness up close and personal the decline of Sarah. I am sorry that you were not all able to stand next to her corpse after her spirit left it so that you'd think a little more about these subjects rather than just what I can say to you. But I'm going to trust the Spirit of God and the Word of God that together you can think about these things. We have many times said in this church in agreement with Solomon that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. The world wants to party. We need to reflect. We need to meditate. We need to muse. 
And we need to consider these things. So that's what we're doing today. The reigning law of sin and death. Experience with civil laws, the laws of our nation, the laws of our state, is that they can be broken and you may or may not get caught. God's laws are different. All will be enforced, especially those he himself manages. Laws of creation determine 24-hour days. Laws of creation determine the seasons. Do you know how God gave us seasons? By putting the axis of this ball on a 23 and a third degree angle. Or there wouldn't be seasons. It's a law that he put into force. It's a reigning law. You can't change the seasons, and they're not going away. The laws of creation give us years. 365 and a quarter days in a year. The laws of creation give the ocean bounds and limits. It gave us gravity. It gives us the age of puberty. And so many other things about life. And in Psalm 90, the law of sin and death fixes the limits of life and the certainty of death at 73. And it hasn't changed since Moses, whom the Jewish scribes accredit Psalm 92. If you have the Jewish scribes' notes at the beginning of the psalm. Verse 10, Psalm 90 and verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. That is 70. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. The way that the verse is presented is that the typical age is 70, and there are exceptions that may make it to 80. And therefore, the life expectancy taught in the Bible is 73, and it's been taught that way for several thousand years. And today's United Nations and all of its data gathering can find no difference. The average life expectancy is 73. Yet is their strength. The best days you'll ever have in this world are filled with labor and sorrow and it disappears before you thought it should, and you fly away, and everything is lost that was on earth. That's the Bible's note to us. And that theme I'm going to chase until I'm out of time. I want to show you how terrible sin is and how terrible death is so that you will appreciate the reigning laws of righteousness and life in Christ Jesus. The law of sin and death simply stated is all men are sinners and therefore must die. A reigning law. Now those are, the, those are the Holy Spirit's words. A reigning law means that it rules. It cannot be altered, cannot be avoided, cannot be beaten, cannot be defeated any way. It is a law that is not overthrown and it affects all those under it. Forget gravity or taxes. Both of them change all the time and can easily be overthrown. Listen, for a couple bucks, I can get some helium and over overcome gravity. You say, well, that's a gas. 
I didn't say anything about gas or not gas. I just said I can overcome gravity. And the Lord Jesus certainly overcame gravity, and landing on the moon certainly overcomes gravity, though it uses gravity, in order to get there and get there at the right place at the right time. But enough about that. Taxes are changed all the time and can easily be overthrown as successive governments often do. Now let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, which hopefully you may have read last evening in preparation for today. And let's remind ourselves of the great doctrine of imputation. Adam brought the reign of sin and death upon all men in the Garden of Eden when he ate the fruit off the tree that God said that he would surely die. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, this is the doctrine of imputation. Imputation equals accounting, equals counting, equals reckoning. Those are the four verbs used in the New Testament to describe God charging a man either with the sin of another man or with the righteousness of another man. And we love the doctrine because it's a Bible doctrine. Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam was a figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. The earth is 6,000 years old. It can be broken into three pieces. The first 2,500 years were from Adam to Moses. They're described here. This is the patriarchal dispensation. 2,500 years, Adam to Moses. The patriarchs worshipped God as the head of their households and as their own priests. There was still Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, that even Abraham would go to and visited with. Then, for 1,500 years in human history, there was the law of Moses for the church of God called the nation of Israel. And then for 2,000 years, it has been Jesus Christ ruling the earth between his first coming and his second coming. That's world history in a thumbnail sketch. 2,500 years of the patriarchs, and death reigned. Death was in charge, and everyone died. Enoch's an exception, and Enoch does not alter the rule at all or require any explanation other than an exception. Because you call it an exception, it means that there is a rule. And the rule is they all died for 2,500 years. These are wonderful verses to explain to us where sin and death came from. In verse 12, when it says, For that all have sinned, it is not talking about your individual sins. That is a so that construction. And so it is teaching us that all have sinned in the one man, Adam. Because that's the whole purpose of this passage. And the language upholds it and the grammar upholds it. That is not your sins. Those are Adam's sins. And it goes on to explain that by saying, even before the law of Moses, when for 2,500 years, 
There were persons that had never heard from God something that they should do or should not do. They still died. And the point is, one man brought sin and one man brought the condemnation of death upon the whole race. And that's what Adam did. And it's right here in these verses. And so in verse 14, when it says, nevertheless, you know, it says in verse 13 that there is no such thing as sin unless there's a law to be broken. Because the Bible tells us the definition of sin is the transgression of the law. Well, what, what happens when there is no law? Well, sin can't be imputed. Can't be counted, reckoned, accounted, or charged to somebody if there's no law that they broke. But they still all died. So they were all sinners. And in what sense were they sinners? By the doctrine of imputation. By what some call original sin. By what some call federal headship. By what some call the doctrine of representation. Through Adam's sin. This is why babies die. It's amazing how no one can figure out how babies die. Babies die because they're related to Adam. The Bible tells us that in the womb, both Esau and Jacob had not done any good or evil. But they were still condemned because God could hate one and love the other. Think about it. God could still hate one and love the other. Love by grace and hatred by justice in the womb. And so children die in the womb. Whether by natural causes, which means God's choice, or by malice, God's choice, in his secret will, they die because they're related to Adam. And so it makes the doctrine of, not the doctrine, the heresy, the heresy of the age of accountability absurd, totally absurd, because they're already accountable for Adam's sin. And that's enough for death. All men die three ways. We are born dead to God, dead in trespasses and sins. Our bodies die. And then there is something called the second death, which is eternal torment. All men die three ways. These are certain facts, for you experience the first daily. Do you experience the first one daily, that you were born dead in sin? If I were to set you in a comfortable chair beside an open fireplace after a nice meal and give you a Bible to read, how many verses can you last before you're asleep? <laughs> that tells me you were born dead. The most important book in the world puts you to sleep faster than any other book in the world. And I'm not taking any pride in that fact. I'm pointing out something to you. It should tell you something about your nature. And so that happens every day. Then we see others around us die like we experienced this past week. We haven't seen anyone in eternal torment yet. But because the Bible tells us about the first two and describes them with perfect accuracy, I believe what the Bible says about the third one. These are certain facts. You experience the first one daily, born dead, and you see the second happen in others. Now Moses' law didn't help. Moses' law was given just to reveal how sinful we are. Moses' law was given to be a schoolmaster. After 25 years, 2,500 years of human history, to drive us to needing something better than animal sacrifices, which the patriarchs had offered, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've been looking here in Romans 5, 12 through 14. I hope you understand those three verses. I have taught them in great detail in, the time, in times past, and they are in an outline entitled, The Two Adams, 
and they are in an outline entitled Romans 5. But let's go to Romans 17, because I want to skip 15 and 16 for the time being. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned, death reigned. What kind of office reigns? Does a president reign? No, a president doesn't reign. Kings reign. There's a king involved here. It's the king of terrors, and he reigns. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Death in this world, and if this world has had 70 billion people since Adam and Eve, 70 billion people will die three ways because of this reigning king. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to know the second half of that verse yet. We want to know the second half of that verse in a few minutes. We want to focus on the first half right now. If by one man's offense death reign by one, sin and death reign from Adam. Brethren, we believe in the sovereignty of God to a great extent. Some would call us fatalists. Some would call us antinomians who are ignorant of what we believe <coughs> and what we preach. God planned sin and God planned death and God planned the first Adam failing and God planned the second Adam succeeding. God planned it all because the entire universe that we know and that we'll ever know is a great drama for the glory of God. There was no surprise. There was no accident. There was no responsive remedy. It was all planned. And for us to understand that great drama should fill you with joy that you see the big picture. The big picture of the universe is the glory of God. And you're a little pawn in it. But I, I want to withdraw that after I say it. We're not just a pawn. We are the sons of God. And the adoption that was predestinated before the world began is for the glory of God. And we happen to be stars in the drama. But he gets all the glory. The Lord Jesus Christ does. He's the lead. We're joint heirs with him. So don't understate what we truly are. And if you would see the whole world as just a drama, all these little things that are happening in our nation, other nations, the world, they're so small, they're so insignificant, they don't matter. They're all going to disappear. But his kingdom will never disappear. And we are his children in his kingdom. And right now, we are in this world, and there is a law of sin and death that governs every one of us and governs the natural creation. There's a lot of ugliness out there. Why do roses fade? I have these, all these flowers around the pulpit today, and they're fading. Do you have a one-word answer as to why flowers fade? Sin. Why do lions like to take a young little antelope and rip it to shreds in violent fury? I have, there's one word. Sin. Why does gold tarnish? Sin. Why does your automobile break down? Sin. Why is there ever envy rising up in your heart? 
Sin. Why are you ever selfish toward others? Sin. Sin is terrible, but it is a law that reigns, the law of sin and death. In verse 17, Along came Moses 2,500 years after Adam and gave us the law of God, and the law of God was given to show us how exceeding sinful we are. And so it says this in verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered, meaning that that Adam to Moses time period referenced in verse 14 was over, and now it was Moses' turn. Verse 20, moreover, the law, that is the law of Moses, entered into the world that the offense might abound, that the effect of Adam might be fully seen. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, sin reigns and death reigns. Whether you salute them both or not, you both obey them. You, you obey both of them, is what I meant. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you see two kings? You see the king of terrors, and you see the king of glory. You see the law of sin and death, and you see the law of righteousness and life. You see the king of death, and you see the prince of life, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come together in a church, in an apostolic New Testament Baptist church, because baptism is an ordinance of hope, but it is not when it is performed by sprinkling. Baptism is a burial and a resurrection to show that Jesus is coming back for buried bodies. It's an ordinance of hope, and we love our doctrine of baptism. But we come together to have our hope built up. And so let's do that with the Word of God. The law of Moses was a good thing, but it only revealed sin in men. We're at chapter 5, and I just showed you what it does in verse 20. The law entered that the offense might abound. You mean the law didn't enter for men to become righteous? No. The law entered to show men that they couldn't be righteous by their own actions and that they would need someone outside them to save them. But if you flip over a page to Romans 7, Romans 7, I can't read the whole passage, though I would love to. I would love to read verses 7 through 14. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Because Paul's been blasting the law pretty hard because salvation is by grace. Is the law sin? God forbid. Why would you think something crazy like that? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. If you had never heard, and no one had ever taught you, to be content with the things that you have, and not to covet, you wouldn't know that coveting is wrong. You would just be coveting all day long, and night, and during the night too. While you're in bed, you can still think about the car that you saw earlier that day that you want, or the other woman that you're not married to that you saw that day that you want. And so there's a whole lot of coveting going on. And Paul said the law is a good thing because it told me that that kind of desire for something God hadn't given me was wrong, was sin. I had not known sin. That's what verse 7 tells us. That's what the law is for. I could go on, but I'm not, I don't have the time for it. The law is holy. Look what it says in verse 12. The law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. The law is holy and good, period. 
It's you, you are the problem with the law of God. It's not a problem with the law of God, the problem's with you. And that's what the law was for, to show us that we had a problem and we needed another king to come and rescue us. Because we were under the reign, the ruling power of the king of terrors and the, king, the law of sin and righteousness, the law of sin and death, and we need did the prince of life to come for us. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is similar to Romans in that Paul is dealing with Jewish legalists and refuting their ideas of Moses' law having anything to do with justification. Galatians chapter 3. The curse of Moses' law is strict and severe. Do or die. And none can do. Galatians 3.10 For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. That's the Jews that loved Moses' law and didn't love the Christ of Moses' law. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In order to survive the law of God, you have to do, not talk, you have to do all things that are written in the book of the law and continue in them. What a requirement. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Amen. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. There's a difference between having to do all the commandments of Moses' law and do them continually and do them perfectly and do all of them and then compared to just believing the promise of God. And this chapter goes on to say the promise was given 430 years before the law was given because the promise was given to Abraham and the law didn't come until Moses. And the promise was given to Abraham by God swearing with an oath according to Hebrews 6 and Genesis 15. Surely, blessing I will bless thee, that that's the promise and that is by which we are justified, the promise of justification through Jesus Christ. And Abraham believed the promise and it was evidence that he was a justified man. Yet there were Jews that Paul had to fight his entire ministry who thought that you kept the laws of God in order to be justified. Some of them would take Christ plus the law. Some of them emphasized the law and Christ was just a P.S., then there were the Jews themselves that hated the gospel in its entirety. My, my friends and my brethren, every person is a sinner three ways. I mentioned three deaths, but every person is a sinner three ways. Let's call it the rule of three. The rule of three is sin is going to get three deaths out of you. And you're a sinner three ways. They're different. It's the law of sin and death. The law of three. I gave you the three deaths. You're born dead in trespasses and sins. Your body dies. Then there's the second death. First of all, you're a sinner by imputation. Meaning, God charges you with Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For as an Adam... All die. Even so, in Christ, shall all be made alive. You're a sinner by nature. 
Each person has a nature hating God and loves rebellion and sin. So you're a sinner by nature. What you have inside of you jumps and leaps with passionate greed for things that are wrong and must be forced to do things that are right, either by the Spirit of God or by you in conjunction with the Spirit of God to do what is right. We have that, na that nature that is given over to sin. It's the old man versus the new man. And so we're a sinner by nature. And much can be said about that, and you know many verses could be raised on that particular point. And it's cured by regeneration, which solves our vital condemnation. It changes our nature. Regeneration changes our nature. Regeneration doesn't change our standing before God. Regeneration doesn't directly and completely change our practice. Regeneration changes our nature so that we have a new man within us that does desire righteousness and holiness. And we can put him on every day and do it. Then we're a sinner by practice. Each person goes far astray at birth and never repents or reforms in any meaningful way to God. So we are, a, we are sinners by imputation, sinners by nature, and sinners by practice. We confirm it every day. So God gave the law of Moses to show us how bad we were. Even those, be born, even those born before Moses' law died because Adam's sin of imputation reigned in them. Do you see all this? I know this is theology 202 maybe or something like that, along with me trying to remind you about sin and death. Even those born before Moses' law were like Adam in nature. Oh, there's a terrible verse in Genesis 5 and verse 3. And it says, Adam brought forth a son in his likeness and in his image. Oh, do you know that Paul jumps on that in 1 Corinthians 15 and says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we're like Adam. You know the rest of the verse, don't you? Even so we shall bear the image of the heavenly. Is Jesus going to give us bodies just like his own? Yes, he is. Listen, this is hope. It's incredible hope. It's the story of the, the human race. It's the story of the universe. There's some angels out there that are our servants because we're the sons of God, and they're not. They're our servants. Jesus never redeemed any of them. And that's all clearly stated in the Bible. This huge drama is glorious for the glory of God. But we want to lay hold of it we come together to remind ourselves of it so that when you go out of here, and I don't care what news source you use, you're not going to hear truth that matters, if you even hear truth. I just hope you know that all sides always, when they're worldly people, have fake news. But that's, that's irrelevant. This is the true news. This is the news of the gospel. These are glad tidings of good things, and we want to feed ourselves with them. Even if you were strong enough to be righteous, let's say that hypothetically you were strong enough to live a righteous life and not sin, would you still go to hell? Absolutely. Because number one, you're guilty of eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Number two, you have a nature that God will never let in heaven. You say, well, what if I controlled that nature so much it never reared its ugly head? Okay, I'm going to give you that one too. You're still going to go to hell for Adam's transgression. That's what the Bible teaches. And see, as soon as you learn that about imputation, do you mean I am responsible for Adam's transgression? 
You mean Adam sinned and it made me a sinner? You mean Adam sinned and I have to die for Adam's sin? Yes, 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 yes to all those. And you want to embrace every one of those because that's what makes Jesus Christ the most beautiful. For as by the disobedience of one many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Then we get to say, do you mean that I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ? Yes, I do mean that. It's wonderful. Lord, but that's getting ahead of myself. That's the next sermon. How bad is sin? Look at Romans 8. How bad is sin? Now, I've already mentioned an ant- a lion tearing up a little poor antelope. I've mentioned your car breaking down. Let's bring in tsunamis. Where does the destructive force of a tsunami come? Sin. It was called, you know, when Adam, when Adam was in Eden, he didn't watch the Weather Channel not even two minutes a day. He wasn't worried about the weather. He was thankful for a mist that came up from the ground that watered the whole place. Romans chapter 8. Let's go to verse 18. For I reckon, for I reckon, Romans 8, 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. In hope. The whole creation. When it refers to the creature here, it's referring to the whole creation of God is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is the manifestation of the sons of God? When Jesus stands before Almighty God with you and me on his left and his right, and he says, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. That is the manifestation of the sons of God to the universe. And in that day, the bondage of corruption is going to come off the whole universe. The whole universe is groaning and travail and pain and together until now, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is the drama of the human race, and it's not taught outside the doors of a few apostolic New Testament churches that preach the truth. This is Romans 8. The creature was made subject to vanity. It's it's a foolish, vain life out there for the natural creation. It wasn't subjected to it willingly. We forced its hand. We forced God's hand by sinning. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. When we have a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to be delivered from sin, we won't be tempted to sin, we'll have no more sin in our members, the whole creation is going to be delivered from the effect of sin right along with us. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, the first converts of the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. And there's the two hope verses that I read to you earlier. We got to see this past week and the previous week and the previous weeks. We got to see and groan with a 35-year-old woman who wanted the adoption of her body. And that is the final phase of redemption. Redemption can be easily found to have five phases in the Bible, and this is the last one. There is a sense in which we are not redeemed yet. 
I cannot wait for my body to be, be redeemed, and I hope you're thinking the same thing. I know that if you're older than 30 or 50 or 70, you know what it means. How bad is sin? It affects the whole creation. Things rust. Moths. Moths corrupt things. Moths destroy. Where do you think a moth came from? I'm going to give you a three-letter word choice. Sin. You see, but what I like butterflies. Well, God had different ways of getting butterflies into flight than ruining your clothes. If you can find something that is ruined to your sight, ruined to your smell, ruined to your ear, ruined, ugly, painful, sin. Sin. When God looked at what he created before we sinned, it was all very good. Look at Ecclesiastes, please. The book of philosophy in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Oh, this is the, this is the philosophy that needs to be taught. And young David, you taught the philosophy of Solomon this morning. That we can be righteous and enjoy the good things of life. Because our God, our God is a benevolent Father and loves to show His kindness. He's good. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Ecclesiastes 1.1, 1, 1, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Do you remember Romans 8? It said that the creature has been subject, made subject to vanity, not willingly, because we imposed God upon it to alter it. We did it. But look what vanity, profitless, worthless, painful, troubling. Vanity of vanities, the whole thing. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Listen to the desperate cry of a very intelligent and wise man who had the time and who had the ability, who had the wealth, who had the good looks, who had the women. He could experiment with anything in the whole world. And he said, all is vanity. Verse 12 of the same chapter, chapter 1, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Verse 17, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. Chapter 2 and verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Verse 17. Therefore I hated life. Therefore I hated life. Unless you are walking with God... And you like life? If you're not walking with God and you like life, you have deceived yourself. The inspired perspective is to hate life without Christ. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. But Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. More, more abundantly of all kinds. All, oh, in every way. So I've just shown you two passages of Scripture. We're answering the question, how bad is sin? How bad is sin? It ruined everything. It ruined the whole creation. 
Romans 8. It ruins everything in life until you put the other king back into force. And then life is wonderful. But still not as wonderful as it's going to be. Because that's hope. Sin instantly destroyed the perfect, faultless, confident, romantic joy of Adam and Eve. Sin causes two once-obsessed lovers for each other to divorce in hate and revenge, then to go and do it to others. Incredible. I want you to think about sin. Sin instantly destroyed a comfortable and friendly relationship that Adam and Eve had with Jehovah. Sin causes your nature to revolt or sleep when hearing of God's love, God's Son, God's Word, or God's people. Sin instantly destroyed their love to selfishly blame each other and get a harder relationship out of their marriage. Sin gave Adam a truly harder time earning and Eve a truly harder time birthing. Sin causes men very painful and stressful situations at work, then layoffs or termination. Women still, still feel sin every month for a week for the trouble of pregnancy and birth. For their lives from 12 to 50, five or so. Unbelievable. Instead of love, many women arrange for murderers to suction their babies into pieces. Sin caused Cain to kill his own brother for the terrible offense of being good and godly. Sin causes children to mock 20 years of parental care and love to defy them and blow them off. Sin caused the whole creation to go into ugly mode of decay, violence, death, and destruction. It causes roses to fade, pets to die, animals to savagely kill each other, and storms to ravage. Sin caused hatred and murder. Sin caused polygamy and sodomy in the first 20 chapters of the Bible. Sin causes all painful, perverse dysfunction in relationships. Sin causes envy, fear, folly, hatred, jealousy, pride, revenge, suspicion in all relationships. God made man upright, Solomon will tell us in chapter 7 of this book, but they sought out perverse inventions and continue to do so. The current pandemic, protests, and political circus are all a result of sin in mankind. Uneasy bodily symptoms you may have had this week Trips to the hospital and death are a result of sin. Everything that hurts, stinks, looks ugly, resists, rusts, or causes pain is from sin. Sinners are so perverse they will choose an idiotic course over seven perfect answers. Proverbs 26 and verse 16. They flatter themselves as being special, while by every measure they are perverse and losers. Bones break. Cars break down, and human souls go down in a vortex of eternal terror because of sin. The only things men or women really want are what they do not and cannot ever have. How twisted is that? Born and unborn children die by nature or malice. And you know what I mean by nature. In fact, really, why do babies die? Good and bad men both die. The rich and poor both die. The careful and foolish both die. What caused everything that I just read and said to you? Sin. It is the law of sin. Brought into this world and brought into this universe of God's relationship with us men by Adam and Eve. Death is the king of terrors. Look at Job 18. Sin is terrible, brethren. 
Always remember that it is sin. You can't find the exercise program or the diet that's going to get you to 120. Because sin, really, you probably can't find one that can get you to 80. Because you know why you get to 80? Because God just made you stronger than the next guy. That's the difference. Genes are more important than anything you can ever do to the genes. Job 18. Sin. Always remember sin. Job 18. Let me start at verse 5. These are one, this is one of the metaphorical places in the Bible where Bildad the Shuhite went off about death. Verse 5. Just remember, think death every clause. Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out. That's his life. It's going to be put out. And the spark of his fire shall not shine. It's over. He's gone. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. The steps of his strength shall be straightened. Straightened doesn't mean the shortest distance between two points. Straightened means a straight jacket by its spelling. So his strength is going to be restrained. He's not going to be able to accomplish what he wants to, and his own counsel shall cast him down. His choices and his wit and his wisdom are going to destroy him. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The gin shall take him by the heel, and the robbers shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and a trap for him in the way. This is, the, this is life in this world without Christ. This is the life of the wicked. Terrors shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. He cannot sit and be still. He cannot lay in bed and be still. He's got to get up and check the doors. He's got to get up and check his 401k. He's got to get up and check. It's going to drive him to his feet. He can't rest because he's scared because of the terrors in verse 11. His strength shall be hunger bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side. It shall devour the strength of his skin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. I love this kind of terminology. This is God's word. Listen, what kind of junk did you have to read when you took literature in school, in high school or college compared to this book? Are you kidding me? Those are some tremendous figures of speech. Love God's word. I love verse 13. It shall devour the strength of his skin. Don't we know it, Dad? Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. I love death being addressed as the firstborn. Even the firstborn of death, the highest, most illustrious, most powerful form of death is going to come after the wicked man. Then verse 14, his confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle. He'll no longer have any confidence in life, and it shall bring him to the king of terrors. And there it is. There's our king. There's our first king, the king of terrors. Because of sin, you're a sinner three ways. You're going to die three ways because of the law of sin and death and the king of terrors that rules. And it ruled. Not really. Her body is sleeping and her spirit is with the Lord. And the death of her body got rid of the worst part of her. Verse 15, it shall dwell in his tabernacle because it is none of his. Brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation. His roots shall be dried up beneath and above shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. I love it. Chased out of the world. That's a king. 
who has a law, chase them out of the world. Chase them out of the world. Then they get to meet their maker and go into eternal torment. This is the word of God about sin and death. How bad is death? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. You want to talk about figures of speech. How about this one? Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Youth. Think about God now. Don't wait until later. Sawyer. You're the one I was referring to. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. While the evil days come not. Because evil days are coming. When you get old, the days aren't as nice as when you're young. Nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. I don't have any pleasure anymore. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened. While those things are all shining and you have in your life sunshine and moonshine. And starshine. That was an accident. It's not in my notes. I'm going to leave it. Nor the clouds return after the rain. I love that little expression. Nor the clouds return after the rain. Sawyer, at your age, when something bad happens, like you break a bone, in three weeks you don't even know which arm. It just heals so fast. But when you're old and it rains, we break something. So we wait three months for it to fix itself with help. And then the clouds come right back to rain again. You have one ailment after another ailment and another ailment and another ailment. The clouds just keep coming back. And the sun doesn't pop out. That's what it means. These are wonderful expressions. I hope that you took advantage of what I sent you for preparation last night because I'm not going to repeat it. But it is a wonderful passage of Scripture to describing the decay of the human body because of sin. What is this? That's all the longer you get to see it. Okay, I'm going to give it to you again for a second. What is it? What is it? It's a skull. But if you'll come up and examine it afterwards, it is a beautiful woman with long hair sitting in her vanity putting on her makeup. And it's entitled, All is Vanity. Because if we follow the Word of God, all the cures are right here in the Bible. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Why is beauty vain? Because it's going away. And because it lies about the character of the heart that's underneath it. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. When we look, in, look at verse 3, In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, there's a man's hands trembling and shaking. He can hardly sign his name. The strong men shall bow themselves. Your legs don't hold yourself erect anymore. The grinders cease because they are few. Those are the teeth. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. Those are the eyes they can't see as well. And on and on it goes, and it covers everything that happens to a man. How bad is death? It's terrible. Why are age graded and master's tables so important for any athletic competition? If you're over the age of 35 and you engage in any athletic competition with people under the age of 35, make sure you use age-graded tables or master's tables because they take each year of life and subtract out of performance what is, what is being cost by sin. And they're online. They're very easy to find. So that you can find at 63... 
what I have to bench press to equal when I was 17. I'm older. Should I be able to bench more? No. Now I worry that the bar might be too heavy. The difference is enormous. But all of that reflects, all of it reflects sin and death. David was one of the most virile men, but could not retain body heat at the end of his life. And the Bible says he died in a good old age at 70. We arrive with nothing. We build an estate for our pride. Then death strips every sin away. Youth assume that they're going to live forever. They never think about decaying and death and dying. But death isn't all there is to your life. In Hebrews 9.27, it says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's that second death. The unrighteous do not get in, and all sinners go to the lake of fire. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Revelation 21 and verse 8. Sin is measured by death. How bad is sin? Well, it caused three deaths. One sin caused three deaths for maybe 70 billion. Sin is measured by judgment. Look at the flood. The millions that were on earth at that time suffocating in water. Jerusalem being destroyed twice. Sin is measured by dysfunction. It corrupts and ruins every good thing we can have. Sin is measured by its cure. God had to kill his son to pay for sin. That's one of the best measures of all, of how bad sin is. And sin is measured by judgment again, and that's eternal torment in the black, dark lake of fire forever. That is how bad sin is. What can you do about it? Nothing. You are hopelessly damned and doomed until I preach to you again. You can do nothing to alter, avoid, delay, defer, minimize, or reduce death. It is sure. Solomon said, it is a war that you are in, and there is no discharge. The wise woman of Tekoa said, it is like water spilt that cannot be gathered. Water spilt on the ground that cannot be gathered again. Death is one of the proofs of Bible inspiration, for it so accurately describes our experience. There's nothing you can do though worldlings continue right on in their insanity, as Psalm 49 describes. Mm -hmm.